0: How's everybody doing? Good, good. I had to make the 9 o'clock do that twice because the first response was lame. So you guys did good with that. Thank you. Um, If you guys ever wondered how cool I am, I received a note last night at the 5 that said, on a scale of one to Spider-Man, you're amazing. (laughs) I don't know what that means, but there's nothing bad about this note. That's good. So kept it right there just to remind myself. So... um, Anyways, really, really glad you guys are here. If you've never been to this church before, what we do is we take books of the Bible and we work through them. Uh, We spend about, gosh, eight or nine months on the book of Revelation, which is fun. Um, The middle of it gets a little bit taxing. It's a little depressing, right? But uh, we work through it, and the end, of course, is beautiful and brilliant. And and so we went from a a very long, dense book to kind of a little hidden nugget in the Bible that a lot of people have never even heard of. It's uh, called the book of Habakkuk. And it's in the Old Testament. It's the third to the last book of the Old Testament. I've taught it before. I really, really enjoy it. And it was kind of pivotal in my life, especially the chapter that I'm gonna to teach today. There's a part in it and I'll point it out. Um, it was really instrumental in just my walk with God. And so it's a scripture that I've kind of taken to heart and uh, it's very important to me. And I love teaching this chapter in particular. Uh, if you haven't been with us, let me catch you up a little bit. In the first lesson on Habakkuk, which was all of chapter one and one verse of chapter two, we talked about this idea of where do we run during hard times. We asked the question, you know, because all of us are gonna go through hard times, all of us are gonna go through times of suffering, we're all gonna be treated unfairly, things are gonna happen to us, and in those moments, where do we run? Do we run to pornography, do we run to food, do we run to television, do we run to drugs, do we run to alcohol, where do we run? And at the end of our first lesson Habakkuk, we learned that this, this man, Habakkuk, right, who's having this conversation with God, he knows to run to the Lord with his complaints, with his frustrations, with his fears, with his confusion. At the end of that first lesson we talked about that Habakkuk says, I'm going to position myself like a watchman on a tower. I'm going to look for God. I'm going to listen for God because he knew where to run in hard times, right? Second lesson, the majority of the second lesson is God speaking right this this book of habakkuk is this conversation it's a snapchat of this relationship these people going back and forth god and in this in this prophet and in the second chapter we mostly have god speaking and he gives us five warnings and we talked about in the second lesson that when we love the wrong things or when we improperly love that it can be catastrophic in fact god gives us five woes in chapter 2 and the word woe is translated we learn from revelation 2 catastrophe. So we talked about if we love materialism, if we love, if we have idol worship in our life, if we love violent things, that it's going to end catastrophically. So we talked about at the second lesson that we can love, but we can love incorrectly. So we often use the word love, and a lot of us don't really know what that means, at least not the biblical version of love, okay? Today we're going to talk about relationship a little bit. Because like I said, this whole book of the Bible is kind of like a, a little Snapchat, a little, little, little snapshot, if you will. I keep saying Snapchat. It's a Freudian slip, right? It's a little snapshot of this relationship between God and this man, Habakkuk. But what we learn from this very short relationship or, or this very short conversation, this book of the Bible, is that there must have been a, a wonderful relationship between this man and God. So we're gonna talk about that. I don't know if you guys know this, Good relationships only happen when you do them on purpose, when they're intentional. You don't run into a couple that's been married for 40 years and it's like, well, we don't know how it happened. Just said, I do. And here we are, right? <laughs> 40 years later. It takes work. It takes making it a priority. It takes intentionality. It takes making, it, uh, making time, putting that aside to build the relationship. And it's the same thing with God. If we're going to have a good relationship with God, it only happens if we do it intentionally. Okay? So... All right, if you have your Bibles, we're in the third to the last book of the Old Testament. You should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything is on the Experience Community app. Whoever this gentleman is, you have wonderful arms. I just want to tell you that. You're probably somewhere in this room, and I just want to say I've been envious of your arms all week. I know that's a little weird, but we're an honest church, and I just want to be transparent with you. Those are good arms. So saw that on Facebook, and I'm like, I'm going to use that. So... Arms like this should be celebrated, so. <laughs> Anyways, I know that's weird, but hey, here we are, right? So <laughs> I'm gonna pray, promise I will not talk about any of you anymore during this lesson and we will move on and, uh, and, and God will do a lot to us today, okay? So glad you guys are here. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for a church where we can joke and, and we can have a good time. Lord, thank you, God, for the freedom, we have in this room, Lord, that we can just kind of hunker down, break open your word, and that we can learn something from it, God. Lord, we pray that you not only bless this church, us in this room, God, Lord, but we pray that you bless every single church in our community that teaches the truth, God. Lord, we pray that your kingdom is advanced through them. God, bless the wonderful nonprofits that we work with, especially Portico that we're highlighting this month, God, a wonderful organization. God, we pray that you open up our eyes today, open up our ears, Lord, let us have a desire to be better. God, Lord, set our focus on you, Lord. We love you. We thank you and we lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to do my best to break it down and uh, let's see where God takes us. Okay, here we go. A prayer of the prophet Habakkuk according to Shaganoth. Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your works in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. Now, here's something interesting. The third chapter of Habakkuk is a prayer. It's also a song. It was intended not only to be prayed, but to sung, be sung, just like that last worship song that we did. This Hebrew word that is very hard to pronounce this Hebrew word is not translated into English because all it means it's a, it, it's simply a kind of Jewish song. So a neat fact about this chapter, this chapter probably would have been very popular in worship gatherings in Jewish culture, right? So they would have gotten together just like we sang these songs. They would have sang this chapter of the Bible and they would have celebrated and worshipped with these words. Now that brings us something very interesting, right? Music and worship are a huge part of the Christian experience. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, right? But why do churches always typically open up with worship and why is there music in most church services? Why does this happen? The reason why there's a lot of music in church is there's a lot of music in the Bible. In fact, the largest book of the Bible is a collection of songs. And all throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testament, There's a ton of worship, a ton of music, a ton of singing. Now, in our day and age, we have to be very careful with worship music because there's a lot of worship music that is very theologically out of whack. It doesn't line up with the Bible very well. So just because it's worship music doesn't mean it's worship music that honors God necessarily. Worship music is also supposed to focus on Him. And something that is unfortunate with a lot of new worship music is it tends to focus on us all the things God can do for us, and it's about me, 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 me. And worship is not about you, it's about him. The point of worship music is the elevation of God, but when we elevate God, it does lift us up too. It edifies the church body, but the focus is him, right? The focus is him. Music is also a way to bring us all together, the corporate worship experience. Not everyone is meant to teach up here. Most of you have no desire to teach up here. What is that, like the greatest fear, like bigger than death, is public speaking? I'm like, really? You'd rather die than do this. <laughs> that's what you guys think of my profession, right? So now I know not everyone's designed to teach, and I know that not everyone can play musical instruments or sing like the men and women up on the stage do, but that's fine, When we have corporate worship, we can all participate. We all kind of become one. We unite during that time, and that's a good thing. Now, if you don't like worship, and if you don't like worshiping with other people, like, heaven might kind of suck with you, like because, like, there's going to be a lot of that in heaven. You get into the book of Revelation, we sing a lot together, we praise a lot, there's a lot of instruments, like, all that stuff is going to happen, so, like, maybe you should get used to that if you're a follower of Jesus, because there's going to be more of it. There's also a proper way to worship. When we worship, we're to approach God with awe. Look at what Habakkuk says here. He says, I stand in awe of your deeds. That when we worship, we're to be in awe of God. We're also to remember what God has done. That last song's a perfect example, right? There's a lot of scripture in that last song, all the songs that we did today. Remembering the cross, remembering the goodness of God, remembering the things God has done for us. We're also to worship in spirit and truth. That means that we worship with our emotions, that we worship with our heart, right, God? That that we worship through the power of the Holy Spirit, but we're also to balance that with truth. There's a lot of people that worship with their emotion, but they don't worship with their mind. They don't worship with good theology, and we're meant to blend the two. We're also meant to anticipate God's presence, This is a very churchy thing to say. We often say we should have expectation when we come to church. Listen, when you come here and you worship with a thousand of your brothers and sisters in this room together, like we did today, there should be an expectation of feeling the presence of God, right? Where any two or more gathered in my name, I'm right there in the middle of them, the Bible says. We should anticipate that. We should also center all worship on him. Worship is our opportunity to make it all about God. Here's the ironic thing about our relationship with God. The more we make it about him, the more he makes it about us. The more he blesses us, the more he does awesome things in our life. Whenever we focus on him, we become better people, okay? Now, Habakkuk is gonna talk about praising God for the things he's done in the past, all right? He says, God comes from Taman, the holy one from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His brilliance is like light. Rays are flashing from his hand. This is where his power is hidden. Plague goes before him and pestilence follows in his steps. He stands and he shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. The age-old mountains break apart. The ancient hills sink down. His pathways are ancient. I see the tents of Cushan in distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian tremble. Now, what is all that? This is kind of a brief list of all the things that God had done in the past for his people. Now, what you can kind of almost sense is Habakkuk is kind of psyching himself up. God, you've delivered my people in all these different places. You've done all these amazing things. He's encouraging himself in the Lord. Now, what in the world does that mean? I'm going to tell you what that means. and I'm going to to give you a scenario. Ultimately, your affirmation, ultimately your encouragement, ultimately your value does not come from other people. It comes from God. And as Christians, we have to learn to get our affirmation ultimately, from God. Now listen, I'm a words of affirmation person. Five love languages, right? I appreciate affirmation. But ultimately, I can't depend on you or even judge my value based on you. I have to get that from God, okay? Let me give you an example, practical. Three or four years ago, I can't remember how long it was, we had had two or three people on staff, we call it a team, but you know, so for clarity, our staff, that would constantly complain that they weren't affirmed enough, right? I took our staff out to lunch every single Thursday. We can't afford to do that anymore because it's a a lot of people now, but we would take them out every single Thursday. We'd go to movies if we had extra long weeks. I would give them bonuses at the end of the year. I felt like I took care of people pretty well, so I was struggling, and I went to another pastor friend of mine, and I said, hey, I got like two or three people on my team. They are, they just, they're never satisfied. I cannot encourage them enough. And this individual, this pastor said something brilliant. He said, Corey, Of course, you're to affirm them, you're to be a good boss, but ultimately, they need to learn to encourage themselves in the Lord. Now, how do you do that? You pray, you read the Word of God. There is a lot of encouragement in this book. You read the Word of God, you record what God does in your life and what he's done in the past, and then you reflect. Pray, read, record, reflect, or remember. And so we have to learn to get our encouragement and our affirmation from the Lord because people will let you down, okay? Okay. You have to do that. Habakkuk also mentions a couple of different places. He mentions Taman because it was an oasis city. And he's saying, God, you're our oasis. You're where we get our refreshment. You're our refuge. He mentions Mount Paran, which is Mount Sinai. That's where Moses got the Ten Commandments. He's reminding himself that God gives us clarity. He gives us direction. He gives us justice. When it says, if you have a Bible, say to the side, Selah. What that means is this, that's a pause, that's a musical term, and when you pause, you're meant to reflect on what you've just read. So we read something and we're meant to pause and think about the magnitude of what we've just said. Side note, when's the last time you really thought about the words that you're singing? Whenever we say things in worship and we say, you're all that I need, is he all that we need in our life, really? He should be, but is he? Do we really think about the words that we say? Habakkuk also compares God's splendor to a a sunrise. He says there's like rays of light coming from your hands. This is yet another reminder to us that God is outside of, of even our greatest imaginations, right? The apostle Paul said that God lives in unapproachable light. But when we have a relationship with God now, we get a glimpse of that unapproachable light. Here's what's neat if you were with us during Revelation. One day we will be allowed to approach the unapproachable light. Right now, we can't see God in His fullness, but one day we will get to approach the unapproachable light. That's really neat. Not only is God light, not only is God good, God is also powerful, He's sovereign. God isn't powerful because he has a lot of armies, though he does have angels. That's not what makes him powerful. God is powerful because he can can control the elements. He can control the land and the earth and the water. He says plagues and pestilence follow his footsteps. He stands and he can shake the earth. So if God is good, this is very important, and if God is powerful, that means that he wants what's best for you and he's willing to help you and he's able to help you. When we go to God, we have to know that he's good and he's strong, which means he wants the best for us and he is capable of helping us and taking us where we wanna go. We need to remember that. We also see that Habakkuk mentions four different cities or towns. Now what's interesting about these four towns, is all of these four towns were areas that the children of Israel, the people of God, traveled through on their way to the promised land. But all of these towns were in the wilderness. Look at the symbolism. God, you took us through all these places where it was dry, it was tough, it was confusing, but ultimately you had somewhere, somewhere for us to go. You had a promised land. You had somewhere that you were taking us. What is interesting about that too is as we go through those people, or as we go through those places, God makes us into better people. We become better people when we go through hard spots in our life. Any of you guys in this room, you ever been in a place in your life where you're just like, "Uh, there's no way we're gonna get out of this spot, right? There's no way we're gonna make it. There's no way we're gonna be able to, to get out of this financial rut. There's no way that my marriage is ever gonna get fixed. There's no way that this relationship is gonna get mended. There's no way. You ever done that and then five years later it hits you? God, you brought me through that. (laughs) I couldn't see any light in that moment. But listen, not only did you bring me through that, God, you made me a stronger person through that adversity. Do you know the Bible says that we're gonna be refined like gold in a fire? Do you know the only way to refine gold in a fire is you have to turn the heat up really, really high. So what God does is he takes us through hard times. Sometimes God takes us through times of suffering in seasons that are difficult and confusing, but when we come out the other side, we become sharper people. Listen, the only way for a knife to get sharp is to rub it on a stone, right? Friction. The only way to get gold is to turn up the heat. The only way to get a bigger muscle is to put more weight, more resistance. This is what God does to us throughout life, right? is he puts things, scenarios in our life that we get through them and they may be tough and we may not understand, but when we get to the other side, God has made us better. He's refined us. He's sharpened us, okay? All right, you guys are awfully quiet. Next, next part. <laughs> are you angry at the rivers, Lord? Is your wrath against the rivers? Or is your rage against the sea when you hide on your horses your victorious chariot? You took the sheath from your bow. The arrows are ready to be used with an oath, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains see you and they shudder. A downpour of water sweeps by. The deep roars with its voice and lifts its waves high. Sun and moon stand still in their lofty residence at the flash of your flying arrows, at the brightness of your shining spear. You march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath. You come to save your people, to save your anointed. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked and you strip him from foot to neck, Selah. You pierce his head with with his own spears. His warriors storm out to scatter us, gloating as if ready to secretly devour the weak. You tread the sea with your horses, stirring up the vast waters. Now, what Habakkuk is doing here, in the previous part, he thanked God for what has happened, what God has done. Now he thanks God for what he is going to do. He asks some rhetorical questions. Habakkuk says, God, are you angry at the water? No, God doesn't get angry at the earth. There's nothing evil about the earth. God gets angry at the rebellious people on the earth. And he will pour out his wrath on the evil people of the earth. So in Habakkuk's time, I'm going to get off here on a, on a winding road here in a second. In Habakkuk's time, there was a multiplicity of gods. We talked about this last week. There are no other gods. But people be- believe there was a god for the sun, a god for the moon, a god for the rivers, a god for the oceans, a god for the crops, a god for all these different things, right? Right? And what Habakkuk is doing in this chapter is he's saying, no, there's one God that controls the nature, one God that controls the elements, one God that created all things, even the sun and the moon, which is maybe a reference to the book of Joshua, but all these things are under control under one God. Now listen, this is where I might hurt some feelings or make you think I'm a heretic or something. Whenever people argue about things in the Bible, Christianity is crippled right now because we argue on minor things. Things that are not majors, they're minors, that are not salvation issues, but we love to fight ab- about them amongst ourselves. One of those arguments is, is the earth 9,000 years old or is the earth 5.4 billion years old? And people argue about it. And they get into Genesis 1 and 2 and well, you know, 24 hour days. And no, no, no. A day is like a thousand years. That word day can mean three different, all these different arguments, right? Now the point of Genesis 1 and 2 is it has nothing to do with a 24 hour day. Nothing. The point of Genesis 1 and 2 is Moses was saying there's not a multiplicity of gods that created things. There is one God that created the heavens and the earth. The point of Genesis 1 and 2 is not the age of the earth. The point of Genesis 1 and 2 is that one God created the earth. Whether it took him 5.4 billion years or six days doesn't make it any less miraculous. Either way, he still created everything. So we squabble... So we squabble about things and we completely miss the point. The point is there is one God and he has done all things, right? Focus on the majors. You can talk about the minors. Do not fight with your brothers and sisters about things that are not essential to your salvation. It is a waste of your time. Just throwing that out there. So it also says that God pours out his wrath. Now, one, God doesn't pour out his wrath on good people. He only does it on evil. And God doesn't do it for no reason. God inflicts his wrath on evil to save and to protect his people. The people that Habakkuk is worried about is the Babylonians, this group of evil people coming in to take over his territory where he lives. God's going to deal with that. In Daniel chapter five, he deals with these people. God is going to deal with the last evil civilization. We talked about that in Revelation chapter 18. So we see another pause, the second pause, selah, That means that we are to pause and remember that all the evil in the world will be taken care of. God is going to deal with it. There is nothing evil that is going to go unpunished. God will deal with that evil. God will also humble the proud. At the end of this section, Habakkuk says that people are gonna come in. They're gonna gloat as if secretly trying to devour the weak, but God is going to strip them from foot to neck God is going to pierce them with their own spears. God is going to humble the arrogant. Every single Christian in this room, you should memorize Proverbs 16, 18. It simply says that pride comes before a fall. There is no room for arrogance in the life of a Christian. Absolutely none. There is no room for arrogance. It also says in James, chapter 4, 6, James was the brother of Jesus. It says in James 4, 6, that God draws near to the humble, but he resists the proud. So whenever I see a Christian being arrogant about how Christian they are, they're not as close to Christ as they think they are because God pushes away from the arrogant. Always err on the side of humility, always err on the side of humility, be humble. So let me ask you this, Habakkuk was praising God for things he hadn't even done yet because Habakkuk was confident that God had good plans for him. Do you and I trust God enough to know that he has a future for us? Jeremiah 29, 11 says that, God, I know that you have a plan for me, a plan for my welfare, not for my detriment. Do we trust God enough to know, God, whatever comes, whatever comes, I know you have a plan and I know that you love me. Do we also understand that rebellion, pride, and arrogance will separate us from God? God will push away from us. Well, Corey, nothing can separate us from the love of God. He'll still love you, but he's not going to want to be close to you, okay? The, the, The Scripture doesn't contradict each other. He loves us. God loves a lot of lost people, folks, and he pushes away from arrogance. That's what the Scripture says. Do we know that? Okay, last part. I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. "'Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled where I stood. "'Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress "'to come against the people invading us.'" Now, the next two passages are some of my favorite in the entire Bible. "'Though the fig tree does not bud, "'and there is no fruit on the vines, "'though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, "'though the flocks disappear from the pen,' and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights for the choir director on stringed instruments. Now, the book of Habakkuk is a vision. If you weren't with us for for, for chapter one, this minor prophet receives a vision of how God is going to handle injustice and how he's going to take care of his people after seeing this vision habakkuk is terrified he has only seen a glimpse of god's power and a ter- look at what he says at the beginning of this chapter or beginning of this part He is absolutely terrified by that. Now, some people read that and they're like, terrified of the Lord? That doesn't sound like a healthy relationship. Listen, when we understand that the God that we worship spoke everything into existence and he can easily speak us out of it, there should be a healthy fear of what God can do when he's angry. In fact, the wisest man that has ever lived said, fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. I had a very, you know quite frankly, arrogant young man come to me one time years ago when I taught this for the first time. He said, that's just an Old Testament idea to be afraid of the Lord. Well, Jesus Christ said in the gospel of Matthew, don't be afraid of those that can kill your your body, but fear the one that can cast your soul into hell. He was referring to himself. There should be a proper fear. What an arrogant people that are not afraid of what God can do if you're on his bad side. God is the creator of all things, and all wisdom begins with a healthy fear of the Lord. Though Habakkuk was also uneasy, look, he says it right there, I'm just gonna have to wait, God. I know you said you're gonna deal with this evil, and I'm I'm just gonna have to be patient. Though Habakkuk didn't understand, he trusted. What we see is though he didn't understand, though he was confused, because he had a strong relationship with God, because he had spent time with God, he had confidence that God would take care of things. Do you want to know, and I'm going to get on a slippery slope here for a second, do you want to know why so many Christians deal with fear and anxiety and worry? It's because they're not as close to perfect love as they should be. I have so many people come up to me, I'm just riddled with fear, I'm riddled with worry, I'm riddled with doubt. Listen, the Bible says a perfect love casts out fear. So when we're in the presence of God, we have nothing to be afraid of. The problem is is that a lot of us haven't spent adequate time with God, therefore we live in fear of the future. We don't have confidence that God is going to take care of us. If you're going to build that relationship with God, here's a very quick way to do it. Pray, read, ask, and wait. Pray to God, read the word of God, ask God questions, and wait for him to speak to you, and you will build that relationship with him. We are also called to worship during hard times. Look at what Habakkuk says. Again, this has been one of the most impactful scriptures for me personally, because it makes us ask, where does our joy come from? Here's the thing with a lot of Christians. I think a lot of people who claim to be Christians love the gifts of God more than they actually love God. They always talk about it. Man, I just want the blessings of God. Whoa, 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 it's not about the blessings of God, it's about God. It's not about what you can get out of it. God is worthy to be praised if he never does another thing for me. And so Habakkuk says, God, God if the fig tree never blooms, if, if all my crops fail, if all my cattle, if all my, my livestock dies and there's nothing in the stall, God, you're still good and I'm still going to follow you. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. God owes us nothing, nothing. And if we have air in our lungs and blood in our veins, he's done more than we have ever earned. God is good. And we have made the mistake of falling in love more for the things we get from God than God himself. Here's the thing about that. When we fall in love, just like chapter two tells us, when we fall in love with material things, listen, even when we find our joy and contentment in something that is good, like our spouse if my ultimate contentment comes from my wife, my wife, God forbid, could pass away. And what the scripture is saying is Habakkuk is saying, if I have nothing, and if I have you, I'm content. And no one can take that contentment. When our joy and contentment is found in the Lord, when our security is found in the Lord, there is no one that can rob us of that. Nothing that can rob us of that. That's why we must find it in him. Here's that scripture I was talking about. Paul says this, don't be anxious about anything. Guys, and I'm gonna, I know, every time I say something, I get hateful emails. I get people who totally misunderstand what I say. Listen, I'm not anti-medication, I'm not. My wife was a pre-med student. My my sister-in-law is a doctor. My mother-in-law has a master's degree in social work. I'm I'm not anti that stuff. I'm not anti-science, I'm an old earther. I'm not anti any of that stuff, right? Any of it, not against it. But here's the thing, when I have so many people who struggle with anxiety or struggle with stress or struggle with depression or fear, the Bible says when those things come on you, pray, petition God. Look at this one, thank him. Remember what he's done for you. We get this out of order and what we do is we just go to God and say, God, I need this. Maybe you should approach God with humility and thanksgiving for what he's already done. And then you can ask him for more. Get it in our minds that God owes us nothing. But when anxiety raises up in us, God, instead of just going straight to a pill or to a drink or to a joint, why don't you try, God? I mean, just give him a shot. And Paul says that if you'll go with prayer, if you'll go with thanksgiving, if you'll present your requests, God will give you a peace that transcends all understanding Again, please don't take that out of context. Please don't send me hateful things. Please don't do that. There's no reason for that. But I'm saying when we reach anxiety, when we reach fear, let's go to perfect love and let's see if perfect love will drive out that fear because the word says it does. Here's our problem. I love this quote. This clergyman said, until we can sing and rejoice and delight in God the way misers do in gold and kings and scepters, we can never have contentment in this world. We cannot do it. Until we love God the way politicians love power, until we love God the way greedy people love money and all their achievements, we will never find contentment in this world. And the reason why many of us have not found contentment in this world is we don't love God the way that misers love gold and kings love scepters. We haven't done that. So Habakkuk compares his ability to carry on. He says, God Because you're with me, I'm like a deer that's navigating mountaintops. Isn't it interesting? There's gonna be mountains in our life, there's gonna be jagged edges in our lives, there's gonna be obstacles in our life. But what Habakkuk is saying is because of you, I can navigate these things, I can make it, I can move forward. That means that we have to have God's provision to make it through this life. Man, this life is brutal, guys. And without God helping us, without us leading us, we're not gonna make it. But if we will trust him, if we will learn to praise him in tough times, not only will you make it, you'll be shocked at how far God will take you. You'll be shocked at the things you are able to do if you depend on God. David said it like this. He wrote this in the middle of being pursued by a king that wanted to kill him, right? He's living in caves. David says, who do I have in heaven but you? Who do I want? Who do I desire on earth? But you, my flesh and my heart fail. And I don't know if you know this about David, like failed quite a few times in a pretty major way, several times. He wasn't a perfect man, but because he kept going back to God, God helped him navigate this life. He says, God's my strength. He's my portion. He's everything I need. He helps me get to the other side. So the book of Habakkuk, it's your first time here and you haven't heard me say this. Again, it's just, a, it's just like a, a fraction of a relationship. There's this huge relationship that Habakkuk and God had with, with each other. You can't talk to the way God, uh, Habakkuk does in this, in this book without having a strong relationship with God. And all we see is just this, this little bitty part of it, right? This little bitty snapshot. We just see a little bit of what, what God and Habakkuk's relationship looks like. And so... What we see in Habakkuk, at the very beginning, he says, I'm gonna position myself. I'm gonna look for you, God. I'm gonna listen for you. He's building this relationship. All the time I hear people say, well, God doesn't provide for me. I've never seen God work. I've never seen anything miraculous. God's never spoken to me. Listen, God is always trying to communicate. God is doing miraculous things all around us all the time. God is trying to, he's provided for you. If you have made it here today, God has put provisions in your life. The problem with us is we're so distracted that we don't see it. We don't have a desire to see it. Jesus said in the book of Revelation in the first three chapters, he said, those of you who have ears to listen. Now he knew that everyone had ears What he was saying is, those of you who have a desire to hear me, you'll hear me. Those of you who have a desire to see me, you'll see me. Those of you who have a desire to change, you'll change. But we have to do it on purpose. Those of you who say, well, I don't have a good relationship with God. Are you at church? Are you reading the word of God? Are you praying? Are you making it a priority? Well, Corey, I'm busy. I hate to break it to you, everybody's busy. Most of us are busy, but we're not productive, we're not efficient, because we don't know how to prioritize time. Well, if I just had more time, everyone on planet Earth gets the same amount of time. We all get 24 hours in a day. Astronauts get it, (laughs) microbiologists get it. All of us get the same amount of time. It's what we do with that 24 hours. It's our priority. And whenever I send an email to someone, they reach out, Corey, I'm in desperate need, I send an email, Two weeks later, I finally get a reply. Well, I've been busy. Watching five hours of Netflix. Not working, right? What are you busy doing? It's a priority issue. And if we want to have a good relationship with God, it has to be a priority. You have to read. You have to pray. You have to worship with other believers. You have to take the steps. What does Christ himself say? That if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. But what that says is we have to take a step. And when we take a step, God takes a step. If we take five steps, God takes five steps. And I imagine his stride is longer than ours. So if we will just put a little bit of effort into it, God will draw close to us, but we have to intentionally take steps. We have to want to do it. As Christians, we also have to make the focus God. You are not the center of the universe, regardless of what your 150 selfies say to the social media world around you. You are not the center. God is the center. And this is the most important thing I will say to you today. The most important thing. It is only when we put our eyes on Him that we become better people. Corey, what do I do to be a better dad? look at Jesus more. What do I do to be a better wife? Look at Jesus more. What do I do to become a better employee or a better employer? Look at Jesus more. Because the more you look at Jesus, the more you're going to want to read this book. And this book has a lot of answers in it. For instance, our marriage is falling apart. What do we do? Very easy. Look at how easy this is. Husbands, treat your wives like Jesus treats you. Wives, respect your husbands. Bada-bing, bada-boom, you have a good marriage. It is really that simple. Well, Corey, you don't understand. I know, I've only been with my wife for 21 years. You're right, maybe I don't understand. The thing is this, if we will focus on Christ, every single aspect of you will get better. Everything will get better. The problem is it's hard to look at Jesus when we're constantly looking at ourselves right? It's hard to look at Jesus when you're on Netflix for six hours a day. That's the average right now in the United States. It's hard to look at Jesus when you're more concerned about your work all the time. Glad you work hard, but your work is not your legacy. My work, being a pastor, this is not my legacy. My wife and my kids are my legacy. My relationship with Christ is my legacy. That's my legacy. If you want to know how to be better, look at Jesus more. Turn your eyes up, pray, read, be at church, make him a priority in your life. Let me also ask you this. We say as Christians that we love God, but what if God never did another thing for you? What if God never blessed you financially again? God forbid, what if you lost your family? What if you had nothing left except for him? Is that enough? Would we still follow him? Would we still trust him? Like I said before, I think a lot of people are more in love with the benefits of Christ than they are with Christ himself. When we did the book of Revelation, we said the beauty of heaven is not the streets of gold and the pearly gates. The beauty of heaven is Christ. It's being with him. Be honest with yourself. What if he never blessed you again? What if the fig tree never budded? Would you still love him? Would you still be with him? Would you still trust him? Would you still follow? The last thing is this. Maybe the three most pivotal words for us in the New Testament was written by Paul when he said, I am persuaded. He follows that with this long list of all the reasons why he's convinced that God's love will never be pulled away from him. Let me ask you this, Christian, if you're a Christian in here. Are you persuaded that God is truly the answer? Now, I know everyone's, well, absolutely, Corey. Then why in the world is 60% of all Christian men addicted to porn? Why do we not read the word of God? Why do we go to so many other things for answers and contentment? Why are we so materialistic in one nation under God? If we as Christian people truly are persuaded and convinced that he is the way, the life, the truth, right? Why do we keep running to other things? Why is our joy not found in him? Why is our contentment and fulfillment not found in him? Why is our identity not found in him? If we truly are convinced, shouldn't our choices reflect that? So let me ask you, believer and non believer, if you're a non believer in this room, has our navigation, has our direction, have our decisions led us to a place of fulfillment? Does the porn make you feel good after you watch it at two in the morning? Is it making your marriage better? Does the six hours of Netflix give you purpose? Does it give you fulfillment? Does all that money, is it enough? It's funny. The majority of the wealthy people I know, it's never enough. It's never enough because it was never intended to fulfill you. Are our ways working? Are your ways working? Are they giving you the results that you thought that they would give you? The devil is such a liar he says, click at this, click on this and look at it. It's sexual liberation, it'll liberate you. And it's fascinating, all it does is enslave us. Because the devil's a liar. Just be free, it's just sex. And it's destroying marriages, it's destroying homes, it's causing insecurity in your daughters. But yet we continue to pump $15 billion a year more than we do in the NFL, the biggest religion in the United States. Are our ways working? If they're not, I have good news. There's another way. And the way of following Christ is even if everything is robbed from you, even if the fig tree never blooms, there is peace. Peace there is contentment, there is joy, there is fulfillment, there is purpose, there is identity, there is value when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we start to understand that we are made in the image of the creator, I don't have to have the nicest car or the biggest house, I am made in the image of my father and that's greater than those things. Would you bow your heads with me please? Please. Listen, if you are in this room, Dave is up here to my right, your left. He's wearing a button-up plaid shirt. Dave's one of the pastors here on, on our team. If you are in this room and maybe you are not a Christian, you're not a believer, listen, this is not to point you out. We're, gonna, we're not gonna make you recite a prayer. We're not gonna make you get on your knees. And pray, nothing like that. If you have any questions, if life is not going the way you want it to go, would you please come up here and talk to Dave? Dave? He's a good man, he's a gentle man, he's a knowledgeable man. He would love to talk with you for a minute and, and, and help you find your path. There's also men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, and here's the last thing, guys, and I don't know why I'm led to say this. I didn't say this at any of the other, scripture, or, uh, any of the other sermons. The communion around us, there's communion all the way around us, represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Here's what I wanna speak to, and I don't know who needs to hear this today. If you're a believer in this room and maybe you have forgotten where your value comes from, if you thought the only thing that makes you valuable was your job title, if you thought the only thing that makes you valuable is your physical looks, if you thought the only thing that gives you value is your money or your success or your achievements, that is a lie. Your value comes because the creator of the universe made you in his image. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every thought and action that you've ever had. Your value doesn't come from what you've done or what you've, what you've made or what you've messed up. Your value comes straight from the King of Kings and he absolutely is enthralled with you. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. He has a path and a direction set out for you, but he needs you to take a step. If you will ask God to forgive you of your sins, there's communion all the way around you. You're welcome to take that and you can be reminded because the blood and and body of Jesus Christ that was given for us, that God loves us and has a plan for us and our value comes from him. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you, and we praise you, Lord. I I pray, God, that you keep your hand on every single one of my brothers and sisters in this room. Pray, God, that you bless them and protect them and keep them strong. God, we pray, Lord, that you'll just encourage us, Lord, and that we can encourage ourselves in your word and in our relationship with you. Lord, we love you, God. Keep your hand on us, Lord, until we meet again. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself.